Good morning, church. Louis Zamperini uh, served as a bombardier during World War II, and uh, while they were doing a rescue mission in the Pacific Ocean, his plane uh, developed some mechanical issues and crashed, and only him and two other people survived. Uh, Lieutenant Zamperini was on a lifeboat for the next 47 days, a life raft, circled by sharks. They were finally rescued um, by the Japanese and taken into a POW camp in the Marshall Islands for over two years. Uh, there he suffered numerous beatings, starvation cycles, psychological abuse, amongst many other things. For two years, not ever knowing if he was ever going to return home or not. Similarly, uh, Sam Johnson and John McCain uh, were taken as prisoners of war in Vietnam and were POWs for five and a half years, uh, suffering in the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, Sam Johnson, who later became a U.S. representative, uh, recalls uh, his experience during one of the uh, regular torture experiences that they called the rope trick. He says, as a POW in the Hanoi Hilton, I could recall nothing from my military survival training that explained the use of a meat hook suspended from the ceiling. It would just hang there in the middle of this, of this room like a sadistic tease, and you could not take your gaze away from it. During a routine torture session uh, with the hook, the Vietnamese would tie the prisoner's hands and feet, and then bound their hands and feet and ankles, sometimes behind their backs, sometimes to the front. The ropes were tightened to the point that you couldn't breathe, and then bowed or bent, the prisoner was then hoisted up onto this hook to hang by the ropes. Guards would return uh, in regular intervals to tighten these ropes until the prisoner's hands and feet would swell uh, twice the size until all feeling was gone. And the prisoners just laid there, um, dangling by these ropes for hours and sometimes by days. We hear about in the book of Job, of Job's immense suffering because of God's removal of his hedge of protection in his life. Uh, Job lost his children, he lost his, uh, his animals, his, his estate, all these things were clumbering around him. He was even losing his health. He didn't die. But it was so bad, his suffering was so immense over all the things that were taken from his life that he even cursed the day that he was born. I don't know how many of you have ever felt like you've been suffering. Perhaps, you know, you're watching online this morning, you're here today, and perhaps you are experiencing suffering as well. And I look at these experiences that others have gone through and I think to myself, man, you know, the suffering that I've endured is nothing compared to these people. I don't know if you have not seen where God is active, involved in your suffering. Where, where is God in your suffering? But God is there. The passage that we're covering in 2 Timothy this morning is much more than just this physical suffering. This is a suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a different kind of suffering. So, for my first sermon back, why not cover a nice light topic like suffering? So here I am. Pastor John and others have been going through the book of First and Second Timothy, and along with the 
book of Titus, they are known as the pastoral epistles because these are the Apostle Paul's instruction to the leaders of the church. This morning, as we unpack 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to stay focused on verses 1 through 13. In this particular section, the Apostle is encouraging Timothy to hang tough, to keep going, to encourage him, to implore him. Yes, you can do this. Don't give up. And you have to understand that suffering is a normal and predictable part of being a Christian. He starts off in verse 1 saying, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in the suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. As Pastor John and other peoples have probably told you through the preaching of this series, Paul has authored these letters from a prison in Rome where he was chained because of his teaching and preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. And here he is encouraging Timothy, he is imploring Timothy, speaking to him as one also suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard it said that misery loves company. Well, suffering is much more easily endured if it is experienced alongside others who are experiencing similar suffering. We are reminded by the author of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity who... But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And the stories that I mentioned before with the POWs and Job, all but Job had other people that were experiencing the suffering along with uh, the examples that I gave. The Apostle Paul now gives three helpful illustrations to Timothy to help him go along the road of this suffering. And so the first example is that of a soldier. He says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. The Roman military was the most feared, most well-trained, and most disciplined army in the known world. Their ability to crush uh, uprisings, to conquest other lands, was something that they were known for. Paul uses this illustration of the Roman soldier as an example of his fervency that he must have in pleasing Christ alone. As Christ, as essentially, as an example, as our commanding officer, we only do things to please him. We live our lives to please Jesus. There is only one goal, and just like the Roman soldier is not interested in civilian affairs at all, but just has one focus, you too, Timothy, need to have the same focus on your mission in serving Jesus Christ. For the past 20 years of serving in the military, I've learned one thing. Um, I don't get involved when it comes to my 
military duties that I don't get involved in the civilian affairs. I let politicians and everybody else handle that. I just keep my nose to the grindstone and do what I'm told, right? And I let all of you decide uh, what it is that we're supposed to do. So I try not to get involved in that, even though I have my own opinions and thoughts on this. But if God is asking us to do something, if God is commanding us to do something, we ought to do it to please God. And so this is the example that Paul gives to Timothy. In the second example, he says in verse 5, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing by the rules. As you know, we live in a sports-obsessed culture, and I hear that McPherson loves sports a lot, and if your particular sport is not up there, your team is not up there, I apologize. If I were to have put all of them up on the screen, you would not be able to see any of them, so I just picked a few. But we love sports in this town. That's something that I noticed right away when I moved here uh, five years ago. Five years ago, can you believe that? It's been five years, all right? Um, Praise God. Thanks for keeping me around. I appreciate it. So, Paul's making a distinction here. He's not just saying any athlete. He's referring to a professional athlete. Amateurs do not compete for the victor's crown. Only professionals do that. There's a distinction here. And he's like, just as a professional athlete goes into training, they have to compete by the rules. Timothy, you've given a guidelines. You have been given parameters of what you ought to be doing. And here, you know what they are. Stay within them. And also, just like a professional athlete, they go and they train. They discipline their bodies to compete, to push themselves, to drive themselves, to continue to do more and more beyond what is possible. This was tough for me because in 2006 to 2007, I was living in Saudi Arabia and I was like, you know, I'm going to try to do a triathlon. And there was a triathlon competition. For all of you who don't know what a triathlon is, it's three events. It's swimming for just under a mile, one and a half kilometers. And as soon as you get out of the water, you hop on a bike and you pedal for 40 kilometers, just under 25 miles. And then right after you get off the bike, you go and you run 10 kilometers, which is 6.2 miles. You do this all in succession, one after another. I'm like, hey. I've got time. Why not train to do a triathlon? Why not? I can run pretty well. I I like to swim and bike, you know, who doesn't like riding a bike? So as I hop in the pool and I try to start um, swimming and I got 400 meters and had to stop and was just panting um, and realizing this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. So I would train in and train uh, out every day for, for weeks on end and I finally finished my first mile to swim. I swam a whole mile, and I was so excited. I was so happy, and I swam a whole mile without stopping. That was the big piece, right? I didn't touch the ground. I didn't hold on to the side. I did it. I swam a mile, and I was so proud of myself. So then I kept training. I'm like, all right, now I got to time myself to figure out how fast I'm doing this. So the first time I timed myself, I did it in 50 minutes, and I was so thrilled. I'm like, man, I did it in under an hour. This is amazing. And then I kept going, and I kept going, and then I timed myself, and I did it in 40 minutes, and I was thrilled. I was, I was, I was ecstatic. 40 minutes, I swam a mile. So I went and I talked to one of my buddies in my, uh, in my section. I was like, hey, Dave, you know, you do triathlons a lot, a lot right? Um, you've done Ironman, right? What's a, what do you usually swim your mile in? He's like, I don't know, like 23, 24 minutes. And I'm like, oh, man. 
Like, I have so much more to go. But this person had been doing it for a long time, even doing uh, Ironman triathletes, which, uh, triathlons, which are just ridiculous uh, in length. But to push yourself, to drive yourself, to, to continue to drive yourself, this is what Paul is getting to Timothy. Look, just as a professional athlete, you've got to go and train. You've got to get better every day. You've got to focus. You've got to push yourself beyond your limits sometimes and keep going. You've got to do it. And, and just like a professional athlete or even amateur athletes, the, the photos that I showed up here, right, we have people cheering us on. We have people telling us, keep going, keep going, you can do it. And that's why we need people in our life groups. If you're not in the life group, get in the life group. Get in a Bible study. Get in, get in community outside here on Sunday mornings and meet with people, encourage and pray with one another and keep going and keep driving further. One of my sergeant, my sergeant that worked with me this past year, just as a side note, he'd be like, yeah, when you're working out, you know, you got to keep going. When you're sweating, that's your fat crying. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a, little, that's a little much. So next time, if you're ever working out and you're sweating, just think that's your fat crying. All right. So the last example, I didn't share that with the first service. I forgot. So the last example the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy is that of a farmer. He says in verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Where are my farmers? Who farms? Who has farmed? So the question is, when is a farmer's work ever done? Never. Yeah, the, in September and October, right? The harvest, it's done, right? You ask any farmer and they will always tell you there is always something to be done on the farm. The farmer's work is never done. And just like in the Apostle Paul's day, there are some hardworking farmers, and then there are just some regular farmers. And Paul is making a distinction here. The hardworking farmer will receive the first fruits, will receive um, the, the share of the crops. It's like Timothy you're a hardworking farmer here. You are doing so much. I know that you're getting up before everybody else and you're staying out late sometimes. And I know that in the middle of the night you're having to respond to issues, the things that come up in the church, just like farmers are having to respond to things that happen on the farm, right? There, there is so much going on. And look, I know it's a lot, but soon there's going to be a harvest and you're going to be able to reap the rewards of all your hard work. In fact, as a hard-working farmer as opposed to a lazy farmer, you should be able to receive this bounty. Timothy, this gospel that we are suffering for, let it wash over you. Let it affect you. Let it, let it just soak in. God is doing so much. This, this Jesus Christ that we are preaching about is so worth it. So just let it soak in. The Apostle Paul then, after these three examples, turns his attention into reminding Timothy, right, that he is offering this counsel. He is imploring Timothy, not out of a place of power. He is imploring him as one, as a fellow sufferer. He says, Timothy, the struggle is real, my friend. I get it. And so in verse 7, it begins, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. 
for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying, Timothy, listen. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. All of us who are in Christ Jesus are one, and we, being in Christ, suffer with Christ. We died with Christ, and we are raised to new life in Christ, and we share that with Christ. We have all of these things to enjoy. And so we surrender our wills to Jesus Christ for his sake, because ultimately we know that living for him is so much better than living for ourselves. And Jesus even tells us there is a cost to discipleship. Let me just be honest with you guys right up front. He says in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, look, whoever wants to to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You know, it's interesting, this whole idea of suffering, and I didn't mention this with the first service because I didn't know how much time I was going to take in this sermon, but I'll kind of bring it full circle. Louis Zamperini, who I mentioned, who was a POW in World War II, was considered the first person to have the ability to run a sub-four-minute mile. A sub-four-minute mile. He was a fast runner and was competing at the collegiate level before the uh, military called on him, you know, during the draft to come and serve. To run a sub-four-minute mile, your body endures extreme pressure. Your body experiences, like, it, it is sci- it's a scientific anomaly that your, what your body can go through to run a mile under four minutes. And he was so close. And I'm thinking to myself, perhaps pushing himself and enduring that physical suffering perhaps allowed him to experience the suffering he was about to endure. In fact, at the end of the story, Louis Zamperini came back from war. He was having nightmares. He was given to alcoholism, and his life was a wreck. And then he attended a revival service by a man named Billy Graham in 1949, and he gave his life to Christ. And his whole life changed. He poured the alcohol down the sink And he decided, I wanted to live now for Christ. In fact, in the 1950s, he ended up traveling back to Japan. He traveled back to Japan, and he actually met those people whom had beat him and tortured him for all those years. And he gave a message of forgiveness, and they couldn't understand how this person that they tortured could come and be so forgiving to them. And after sharing the message of Jesus Christ, 
The one person who had beat him and tortured him the most gave his life to Christ. The suffering that we experience is for something good. And sometimes we can't always see the end of our suffering, but we do it and we persevere because we know at the end there will be a reward. Sometimes suffering for the sake of the gospel means that we have to do difficult things. Ask people who have been on the mission trip with the youth group. Ask people who have had to go to other places and endure very difficult things for the proclamation of the gospel. One of our family's mottos is, we will choose to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes my inconvenience, or what I consider suffering, is something that other people would not consider suffering. And sometimes the things that maybe you consider suffering, I would not consider suffering. So it doesn't matter what we consider other people's suffering as, instead of making judgment calls on what we consider suffering, we just do what Christ is asking us to do. We are faithful in our calling that God has in each and every moment of our lives. Suffering to bring the good news to Jesus Christ, experiencing hardships as a pathway to peace, is to live empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about this kingdom that God has planned for us. I want to close with this. It's from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Stand firm in our faith and our dedication to Jesus Christ and let us be kingdom builders. Let us, in those three examples, let us just throw off every little nitpicky ankle biter thing that gets us distracted from pleasing first and foremost Jesus Christ. That we would continue to push and drive ourselves like the professional athlete. That we would do the hard working, uh, the hard work as a farmer would be because we know that we will receive the harvest. We will receive the reward from that. So be encouraged to go from this place continuing doing the work of Christ Jesus because he is with you and he has suffered with you and he has given you life. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you again for this glorious day and that uh, we can hear this message of hope that suffering will not disappoint us, that it will lead to hope. God, thank you that you give us the perseverance, you give us the strength through all things in Christ Jesus that we can endure hardships. And God, that being a Christian, being a servant of you doesn't always seem easy to us, but we know in the end there is no other better life to live. So help us, as many of us here might be suffering, and we have a hard time seeing where you are involved in our lives, and help us just to cling to your truth, the truth that you will see us through. Uh, See us through. Amen.